week's VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour and we are going, well, to the Oasis really. Uh, and joining us in the floating ballet room of disco is Matt Wallen. How are you, Matt? I am very good. And driving the uh, return from the future uh, DeLorean is Jason Diamond. How are you, Jason? Uh, I am out of time, as the license plate should have said, instead of Parzival. Ah, Uh, (laughs) Yes. So um, we're talking obviously about uh, Ready Player One. Um, So I guess right out of the gate we should announce who's read the book because I certainly did and it heavily influenced me. What about you guys? Yeah, I read it and my son read it. I did not read it, but my son read it. Um, Okay, so can I start with you, Matt? Like uh, Mm -hmm. do you think it's – like are you able to judge the film in sort of isolation from the book? Because the book was so strong and it's – kind of imagery and stuff. I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I, I was thinking about that afterwards. Like I, I'll just start off saying like, I really enjoyed the movie. I thought the movie was, was really fun. Um, I didn't have super high expectations. I was excited that it was Spielberg was directing it. And, um, and I did enjoy the book when I read it. It was like, you know, not a, not my usual kind of book. Um, but it was, you know, light and uh, a fun, you know, summer read by the pool or whatever. It was, it was great. Um, and, uh, my son had read it too. And when we were driving home, he really liked it also. But when we were driving home, we were talking about it and our, um, my wife, (laughs) she didn't want to go. She was like, I'm not really, she, she said she read a bad review. She wasn't really that interested in going to the movies when we went. And, um, my son and I were talking and she's never read the book. Um, do you, you know, do you think mom would have liked it? Do you think she would have been into it? And, and I was like, I don't know. I, I thought she probably would like it. And my son was like, well, I don't know though. Cause she didn't read the book. And we were trying to decide if you hadn't read the book, like, would you make all the same connections? Would you have the same feelings? And, um, that we had watching it. So it's hard to judge. Like, I don't know if I could even speak to what it would be like not having read the book. I mean, I think it was a really, a a decent adaptation and they changed enough things, but they changed enough things that it still felt like it was the, um, uh, you know, felt like it was the same story, but it was some of the stuff I thought actually they improved a little bit on too. I mean, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? Because it's set in 2045, uh, but in 2045, everyone's very retro to 1980 to 19 sort of 90 kind of time frame, which is a sort of an unusual time frame to pick uh, that everyone would ref- reference back to. Um, I'm not quite sure why that would be the the thing, but of course, for the, anyone reading it, like the 70s and 80s, um, you know, is like a great kind of time period to reference into. I guess for me, the thing about the book is that was all my you know youth, right? That was all my popular culture. Yeah, um, me too. But but Jason, I want to ask you one question. This this film, like I just could not get past and a comparison of this film and um, and Stranger Things. I like, kept on thinking, do I enjoy this more than Stranger Things? Because like, for me, Stranger Things is the TV show Steven Spielberg didn't make. Um, and I don't know, it just started profoundly affecting my, my thoughts about what a film can do and what a TV series can do and how invested I was in the TV show and how I didn't... F- I enjoyed the movie, but it didn't kind of like get to the same, I guess, emotional kind of commitment. I don't know. What do you think? Well, there's, that's a difference between 12 hours and two hours, right? But, uh, but at the same time, I would say Stranger Things is more uh, like Poltergeist, where Spielberg kind of stole it from Toby Hooper. I would think that 
Stranger Things is more if Spielberg stole it from John Carpenter. But I didn't really see them as the same because this is more referential than being actually in the time period uh, like Stranger Things is. Um, having not read the book, I went in pretty cold other than the trailers, and I was not super pumped from the trailers. Just it it was just a little hard to grasp onto what was going on. I think I thought they did a to to preface everything. I enjoyed it. We saw it in Dolby opening day Friday, uh, not 3D. I kept trying to find the 3D theater for this specifically, but I couldn't find one. They were sold out. But we did Dolby, you know, big screen on Friday, and then on Saturday, my son was like, "Oh, mom hasn't seen it." Much like to your point, Matt. I, you know, and she was like, I kind of wanted to see it with you guys. So we're like, well, let's go again. And so we went and saw it Saturday as well, not in 3D again, which kind of bummed me out. But, uh, you know, being able to see it a second time was good in two days. I enjoyed it. I think I've been reading a lot of the criticisms of the movie from a lot of friends who didn't like it. And I, I do agree with a lot of some of the criticisms are that you're not to your point, Mike, you're not super invested in the characters in that, you know, you don't really know what Wade's ultimate goals are other than just to win the Easter egg and, and wrestle control away from, from IOI, you know, which makes sense. I mean, it's just classic good guy, good guy, bad guy. They are court, they're Facebook and, you know, corporatization and he is, you know, whatever, you know, the whole thing with the, uh, spoiler alert now we'll just say you know i don't you should keep listening if you haven't seen the movie but you know the whole thing with uh samantha artemis you know like she says welcome to the rebellion but other than that it's there's like two minutes spent on what is she doing what is her whole deal and then it's gone and there's people fighting but we don't know why and they're so there's i understand the sort of like kind of like seemingly half thrown together nature of good guy, bad guy. In reality, for me, I kind of didn't, it didn't really matter because the whole quest was focused on the, you know, winning it. And we knew up front that Wade's probably the kid who's going to win it, or at least him and the team. And I was so enthralled with all the little 80s, you know, nod stuff because I wasn't familiar with it from the book. So like, you know, afterwards, my son was like, oh, you know, the first key is the game Joust, not a a race. And but I think the and he agreed that the race was way better. Yeah. And I thought, of course, because you can't have the first key be something that has eggs because the egg is the final thing. Right. So you can't have it would be confusing to the audience. It's also not that exciting, really. <laughs> I mean, Joust is super fun, but it's not there. There's no visual spectacle like the way you could pack all the characters. And I mean, you could tell so much more visuals. Yeah, the race is so much race. more cinematic as a choice. Yes. Amazing. And then with the whole, the whole thing about, and then you go back to the race and you see it backwards and that whole under the race thing was amazing. Uh, and hands down both viewings, I'm just going to say it, the shining whole shining sequence is fucking amazing. And we can get into that. Yeah. But no, no, I, I, mean, I agree was, with you. I guess the thing for me, and was that in the book, the shining fix no, is just that the, sh- as the you, shining's not in the, no. in the book. Right. As you said at the beginning, as you said at the beginning, the thing about a TV show, like as you get, you know, 12 hours or whatever it is versus two hours in the cinema, but, but 
rather than pass over that, I'm kind of drawn to the fact that that's at the essence of this ability to develop character. That it used to be that television was fairly shallow and, you know, the characters were oh, totally. really not that well-formed. And now you get such well-formed characters. And then when you see a film like this, it feels uh, lighter weight in comparison somehow. Now, I don't say every film has to be like that. Of course, it's not the true. But, I mean, for a, for a thing that felt like a kind of classic, I don't know, maybe I should ask this question. Do you think this was, Matt, classic-y, classic Spielberg? Did it feel like a Spielberg film? Because, I mean, obviously I think that Stranger Things feels remarkably like a Spielberg TV show he didn't make, which I'm not the first person to say that. Um, so I guess I'm just before we get into the visual effects, just kind of thinking about what you can achieve. And, and I'm leading to the next question, which is would this have been better as a as a TV series? I mean, uh, on the first point, I guess, like to me, yeah, it, it definitely felt like a Spielberg film to me, um, but not because of all the references to things related to the 80s or any of that stuff. I think it, it probably had shades of... Uh, Tintin in there in some ways, The Adventures of Tintin. Um, but it also had, um, I think it, it was a stronger film. It had more of the same kinds of elements of sort of the quest maybe that you experience in in um, something more like Raiders or something. Um, but it had a lot of those same Spielberg um, touches, like the uh, aside from a few impossible cameras, there was some great uh, camera work, um, some great virtual camera work in it that I felt like really harkened to some of the things that Spielberg does in a lot of his movies. The opening shot um, coming from uh, Wade Watts's uh, trailer in the stack and sort of following him um, as he sort of uh, traverses down. It's like one long opening uh, shot. Um and that felt really Spielberg-like to me. It also had some of the the Spielberg, um, for lack of a better term, that schmaltz kind of, you know, like um, emotion in it as well. And would it have worked better as a TV show? Um, I mean, yeah, it, it might have been a really cool TV show too. I think that's definitely the one thing um, that is missing in this film is really a sense of... Um, peril, uh, for the characters. I think, you know, when you read the book, um, and so again, it's, it's impossible to sort of separate myself from my own experience in that regard, but having read the book, I'm aware of some of the sort of backstory of the characters that are alluded to, um, in the movie, but that aren't mm. as fleshed out in the, um, in the script or in the narrative. And it's interesting too, cause you, you know, it is a long movie. It's two hours and 20 minutes. So it's on the, the long end of, you know, what's really, you know, kind of an acceptable theatrical running time these days. And, um, I think even with that, there still is some degree of um, characterization because there are so many characters. Um, there's just not not enough to know enough about um, each one of them, I think, to have the same maybe gravitas that um, you might get if you did have, you know, 15 or, you know, 20 hours uh, to play with as opposed to two hours and 20 minutes. The thing about this, a, a series would be, and this is, a, this is I guess rhetorical but uh i don't think i part of the thing that really worked for me was the level of quality of the motion capture and the camera work specifically in the mm -hmm. motion capture and you wouldn't i don't think you'd be able to reach that level in a series it would be too expensive i agree right so uh 
No, well, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing really that pushes it to being a film is that there is so much of this film that's actually a fully 3D animated movie. I mean, it's a not not literally, well, it's but like, it's a Pixar it's like film Avatar a, in a lot of ways in action. terms of the split. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like much Avatar, better, exactly. Which which is um, uh, whoops, sorry. A good segue into the visual effects. So, so in terms of the visual effects, uh, generally speaking, outside of the Oasis uh, is digital domain. So they're doing the visual effects in the real world, which actually includes the hologram uh, that he wasn't again in the book where he appears in, um, in the office. Uh, and then everything inside the game, all of the sort of 3D fully animated, uh, the, the chase sequence, everything that happens in the final battle, all that stuff is uh, ILM. And uh, an ILM therefore effectively is picking up a huge amount of what you might consider the, the heavy lifting from the screen time point of view. But Digital Domain also did the motion capture for the stuff that ILM then oh, animated. So not only is Digital Domain doing that visual effects work, it's Digital it's Digital Domain's uh, stage that they were doing the um, uh, the capture on for the characters when they are in the Oasis. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I was lucky enough to go and hang out at ILM uh, when I was recently in the US and and talk to the guys there. And that's an upcoming article on uh, FX Guide as soon as the embargo lifts. But um, yeah, it was. I think incredibly well motion captured. I totally agree with you on that. I, I'm interested in your comment about the cinematography because it, it's an interesting line for me to walk on that. Let's take the chase sequence at the beginning. That's, that's a gamey type camera move in something that's meant to be a game. So normally I wouldn't go for that kind of all clever flying cinematography, but in the chase with the, you know, wrecking balls flying at the cars and everything else, it was certainly a pretty good sequence. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I would yeah, agree. I, I mean, mean, oh, go ahead, Jason. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree. However, when the whole, it's interesting because the cinematography switches, right? So when you get into that sequence and he's, and he's walking around, uh, it's, like Spielberg, right? It's being covered like super Spielberg style and you're getting cool like camera moves and and like when the door closes and that's the cut and then you look through the car and you see Artemis, like it's classic Spielberg, all of it. And then once the game starts, the race starts, it's video game, you know, camera work. Except in a way, it's like a mixture of like his like uh, War of the Worlds-y kind of those tricks and and Munich car chases mixed with just super like yeah flying camera video game stuff. Um, it, it it was it was interesting to to see him play in that world. It was completely worked for me. Uh, the, um, the chase was. I mean, they did a really good job. I thought of of mixing the experience to feel like you're playing a game, but at the same time imparting like very, you know, heavy narrative, you know, moments to push everything forward and uh, understanding, you know, there's character development in there and how they react and how, you know, you've already been identified with him and H and you don't know who Artemis is, but you're keeping an eye on her. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a really successful sequence and no music, which was interesting. What did you, what do you think about the fact that the the cinematography outside the um, Oasis was shot on film and obviously inside, because it's not shot with a camera, was digital? I mean, it didn't bother me. There's, I mean, it makes sense. You get 
different textures and and what have you. Uh, I mean, it doesn't there. I I don't think there's a a plus or a minus. I mean, at that point, you just assume you know Spielberg and Kaminsky are obviously operating on the highest level. They could shoot on whatever they want. It's going to look good. You know what I mean? <laughs> um. Yes. So so uh, there's obviously a sort of a, a point where ILM has to pick, and this was a really huge point for me, Matt, that, that they have to pick like how realistic do we make these characters. And inside the film, they get to a point where the Oasis is established to be able to produce 100% photorealistic people. Not to break the plot point, but there you go. Um, so the game has the, uh, the latitude to allow a character to be as realistic or not as you want in the universe of the movie. And yet they're picking these pretty cartoony kind of characters. Do you think that decision worked? Did, did it bug you at any point, the sort of gaminess of our heroes? There was only one that, I mean, I actually really, I liked it overall. I think that, you know, uh, you know having a 14-year-old son <laughs> who is super into video games, <laughs> right? Like, so I see a lot of this stuff. I see a lot of the screens and the menus where like, you know, you're picking out a character and um, you're designing your character and customizing your character. And so, you know, some of that aspect of it, it just feels like it's a natural um, aspect of uh, that whole culture, the sort of, you know, uh, culture of, of gamers, people who play games. Like, I mean, even my students, my university students, um, you know, I think are really into that same kind of, uh, world. And certainly that, um, that manga aesthetic, which I don't really have much of a, um, taste for, but it is so popular amongst younger, uh, a younger generation. I mean, they grew up with that stuff. They love it. And so for me, like I thought the Wade Watts character in particular, I really liked the aesthetic that um, they came up with for him. I loved how when you moved in close, the skin had this kind of, uh, you know, triangulated sort of uh, yeah. polygonal mm. kind of a, a subtext under texture. The one character that didn't work very well for me, although sometimes uh, it was okay, was the Artemis character. And it, it had to do in some ways with uh, the facial um, sort of proportions, the large eyes, the small head. And then she had, um, her proportions were strange. Like she had these really narrow, almost like sloped shoulders. Yeah. And, her um, hips and too. then she had a really long torso and then short legs. And I, I know that, you know, in that it, it's fine because you can sort of be however you want, but it just, as a, as a design, uh, there were times where, at least when you saw her walking um, full body, it just looked so odd. Like it was uh, the way it made her hips sort swivel. of look. I think it was also too like the the proportions of the body. It almost made her look like a, she had the proportions of a you know a little person kind of rather than a. Hmm. a a human, like it, she didn't look human. She looked more like some other kind of creature. There was one moment though, where they had these avatars and they were moving when we were just to touch on the motion capture, which you guys mentioned, there was one shot in particular in the, um, the dance club where they, sh there's a high angle camera and we see, uh, Artemis and, and the, um, parts of all character walking and they're walking towards camera and the camera's kind of high and a little bit higher than them looking down on them and the motion capture on him I remember watching it and thinking it was so good it it, 
it um, defied so many of the things that I know we talk about a lot on this show. It defied all the things about weight and gravity and movement and sort of unnatural motion. I mean, it was it was some of the best motion capture I've ever seen. And it was just a super simple scene of them walking. And it was just really spectacular. I remember looking at it and just kind of marveling at how, just how solid it was. Like it looked, it, it added a level of believability to these unbelievable characters in this unbelievable situation that, I don't know, was just really, it was really, really cool to see. It's because he had this, he, he had this kind of like hip, uh, hip meaning cool, kind of like bounce to his step. Uh, yeah, his gait was his really gait had unique, this kind of yeah. like shuffly kind of bounce, like yeah, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously way more confident than he is in the in the real world. Uh, mm-hmm. When he's doing his whole initial walk and talk, where he's just laying out the world for you, and he's walking through that plaza, the Oasis Plaza, like talking about you can be anything you want and blah blah blah, and he fixes his hair, changes his hair, and whatever. He he has that that kind of like shouldery bounce. I mean, it was like a medium shot. So you just saw it in his shoulders, but he had this kind of like, like, you know, like, like I'm a cool guy kind of like gate to him, which, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm with you. The, uh, the motion capture was stellar. The, the thing about Artemis's design I didn't like was the distance between her eyes. I don't mind her having the bigger eyes. Um, though yeah. I'm going to object to that in the, in a film that's coming out shortly. I'm um, no, but anyway, leaving that aside for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, in this film, she just seems to have the eyes too far uh, apart, which mm-hmm. just always strikes me as sort of like a slightly odd thing. I mean, normally in the sort of manga type cartoon stuff, you'll get the eyes getting very close together, which gives a, a more cutesy look, I know. But if you're going to go for the big eyes, that's kind of what you're in for. The character that I found less convincing as a design was uh, TJ Miller's character, which I think is like I Rock or I, is that yeah, right? I Rock, the, yeah, the yeah. baddie, super baddie guy, yeah. <laughs> and I found him to be just absurdly sort of awkward with this enormous hole through the middle of him, um, <laughs> and the sort of skull motif. It just felt kind of like I don't know, like a bit too OTT, like somebody just wanted to make it unbelievably obvious he's a bad guy. Um, See, and I don't know. Just... I think you're showing your age in that one. Sorry, Mike. Uh, <laughs> that, I thought he was amazing, and the reason he worked is because only because T.J. Miller was the voice, and he, and he wasn't. He was a bad guy, but he was obviously funny. He obviously understood the scenarios contextually when he spoke, and so because he's yeah. funny and kind of like a wise guy, you know, against Nolan Straight Man. I I thought that his everything he had then totally worked like because it's totally ridiculous like that like you come around the back and you're like oh did someone shoot him and you come around the front and it's no because he has this giant skull yeah. on his you know his body is a skull like if you could make your own character like you can in a lot of these games you do stupid shit like that because it just looks funny and it looks awesome and you you know you're like ah, I got a guy with a big skull for a chest like I I had no issue with it I thought it was uh. Perfect for his character. I, I agree with you. The performance was was really. But it's what amusing, sold the, right? it's what like sold the, the design to me. Is what I'm saying because he's he's a ludicrous character. Yeah, still seems to. Uh... I don't know. I liked it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> I thought the other one that was problematic. I guess, but it it's just because it, and maybe it's intentional, but it's because he was so ugly. Was the Ben Mendelsohn? Uh, oh yeah, Avatar. Was, was he Superman? Was like. 
Was he like a bizarro Superman? That's what he felt like to me because they kept giving him I, the curl. He, yeah, yeah, he kind of looks like that. Yeah. But yeah, he he was just so ugly to look at. But yeah. I mean, I guess that's appropriate for the character. But uh, I don't know. I thought H was really cool. Yeah. H was a really interesting character, and I love the um, the Mark Rylance character in the he game when he was amazing. the wizard. Yeah, he was so Crispin Glover. In his in his McFly uh, George oh, McFly, well, yeah, in his the human performance. World. I was I was thinking of his avatar as the wizard, yeah, and yeah. how like the wizard's um, cloak did this thing that I guess the hologram kind of did too in Breaks the apart um, in like a digital wind, world where yeah. It would, yeah, parts of it would kind of break apart as like like Minecraft blocks or something yeah. floating away and then coming back onto the uh, the cloak and stuff. And I thought that was really um, it was really beautiful. It was fun to look at. Same when they took their goggles off the first time. I really yeah. liked the uh, the guy in the um, the library, the the memory library, the um, oh yeah, chauffeur effectively, the yeah. assistant. Um, that that I thought was a really good. I mean, obviously it had overtones of other things like uh, AI, but in in a really good way, right? Like that felt to me unbelievably, uh, like yeah, oddly sort of non-human, and yet you know. Terrific so he reminded me a lot of the cab driver from yeah. Total Recall. Johnny Cab. Well, yes. and, yeah. and like the leg, like <laughs> yes. also oddly because of the shining thing, it reminded me of the Martin, uh, or what's his name, Michael Sheen oh, the character bartender. in Michael Sheen in Passengers. Because they, oh, right, they basically right. kind of mm-hmm. rip the shining, right? Yes, yes. I was about so to it kind of had reference. the same vibe yeah. to me. Yes. But also very Disney. It was a very Disney uh, clock the talking clock from uh, from Beauty and the Beast or whatever, Cinderella mm-hmm. or whatever, kind of had that very Disney face with the jowzy kind of, you know, very Jeevesy looking face, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but using that as a jumping off point to the journals, can I say that the the video that's clearly has CG in it or whatever of them watching the scene, the memories playback and switching oh, POV yeah. was amazing that is so cool so super cool really nicely done like very subtle zooming in zooming out little like like totally felt like a camera it totally felt real although obviously maybe they're switching tweening between you know cg between camera real camera angles i i would love some insight into how they did that maybe mike you know but i was that yeah, was well, beautiful to the, me. No, I'm completely with you. The uh, I think that was one of those things that if you weren't paying attention, you just assume somehow that it naturally happened. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those, um, you know, you sort of if you're uninformed, then the fact that they can zoom around live action like that just seems pretty well. You know, okay, so what? And in fact, a lot of those sequences that you're referring to um, were shot with a ton, like a literally a stacked deck, an arc of uh, cameras. So there's actually mm. a behind-the-scenes shot that we've got um, and there's it's the biz- most bizarre thing. You just imagine a stack of like literally an arc, almost a semicircle of cameras, not quite a semicircle, obviously they'd film themselves, uh, of just, you know, high-quality cameras all filming the same action so you can basically morph and move between them. Um, it's totally ridiculous how uh, complex that is to do and yet how effortlessly it appears uh, on screen. 
Yeah, and I liked how they they used it in a way that you know was totally appropriate to the scene. It it was if you know if you if you grew up uh, during the age of the video cassette, which I think we all did, you know, it did have that kind of sense of like fast forwarding and rewinding a video cassette too. It had that same kind of um, speed changes going on, so it really felt uh, when they would you know switch uh, positions and stuff. It it felt very much like a, um, I don't know, like a digital analog uh, kind of maneuvering through uh, space and time, watching this stuff play black, play back. It was stylized um, in a really cool way. Yeah, because he did the fast forward motion where he's like, hold on, skip forward. And he's like, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. um, but without looking hokey. Yeah, I mean, that was when they first were walking down the hallway. I was like, oh, that's cool. Look at all the memories. That's going to be cool. And then when they stop at that, you know, first one where they're having the conversation and they're zooming around. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, this is, that's uh, you know, is that a Spielberg thing or is that a, or is that a ILM thing? Like who, whose design impetus was that? Um, I can't answer that, but <laughs> I will say that stuff outside of the Oasis is probably digital domain. Right. Oh, right. Um, well, because is that in the Oasis, uh, the technically, no, when I say in the Oasis, I mean stuff that is, um, you know, premiered fully CG. Though, again, you, I mean, I'm not a, I wasn't on the production. Well, they so were fully CG until they were was which, like but, only um, the, yeah, only the, only the memories are video. Yeah. Live action. I think that was, that was exceptionally, uh, exceptionally well done. But I, when I saw that, I was looking at it and I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, man, is somebody just like up the CG to the <laughs> max or like what's happening here? Like, yeah, I thought there would just huh? be some CG like in the middle, like just in the motion blur, like and we're just going to transition in between stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's possible that there were effects stuff. I, I know that, um, I mean, for me, the fast forwarding isn't as interesting as panning left and right, right? Because no, of course, obviously yeah. the fast forwarding you can, but um it is the case, and I've certainly done it myself, where we've shot with multiple cameras um, and morph between them. And if you get a really accurate morph, it just totally looks like the camera's panning between the two uh, positions, assuming they're all, of course, synced. Um, though it's a linear transition, so you can't, like if you think of the segmentation of the curve, it's a, a linear path between any two cameras, though uh, it should be an arced path. So it's very subtle, but right. you can't go too far in that arc with it uh, not feeling like slightly wrong. But if you keep them fairly close together, uh, you can do a really good, uh, what's effectively like a temp mort type uh, move around uh, moving live action. So let me just jump now back to the sort of the plot or rather the visual effects that were in the movie for the end sequence. So we got this huge battle. Now I know something about that end battle sequence. And before I say it, can you guys like, I mean, Matt, can you comment on what you thought that looked like both in terms of the crowd animation, but also what you were seeing of the characters in the crowd that were all running at the... Uh, at the uh, end, I guess, the, the sphere that was protecting the final uh, key of the puzzle. Did that look good to you? Did you feel like it was holding up? And what um, did you make out the characters in the crowd? Yeah, I mean, some of the characters for sure. I mean, there's so many interesting ones in there that, you know, are from other <laughs> other properties, from other movies, um, other uh, designs, you know, like guys from, you know, Halo and... Um, you know, other Ninja Turtles and uh, Freddy Krueger, I think, is in there at one point. And, um, you know, I think it it overall, uh, 
It looked good. It, it had some of the things that I guess I'm not super crazy about, but I, you know, again, it's appropriate. I think it, thematically in this movie, it did have a, some impossible camera stuff going on, just like in the race at the beginning. Um, it reminded me a lot of um, crowd sequence stuff from um, Lord of the Rings, yeah, you know, the massive shots, yeah. uh, crowds. And it reminded me too of some of the stuff from this last season of Game of Thrones um, when they're fighting on the ice and the dragon that gets dragged under the ice, I think, which we talked about. Um, you know, it had similar um, qualities to some of that, I thought, um, just uh, visually. But I mean, overall, I mean, I think, you know, it's an exciting sequence. It's, I knew it was coming. Um, it's a, it's a great climax. Um you know, it, it works in the context of the movie. I mean, I, it's, it's just one of those things where to me, some of the, um, uh, just the impossible camera stuff is a little bit, um, just hard to watch too much of, but I think they, they did it tastefully. Like it was never like, it didn't, it never went on for too long. Let me, let me reference the point that was raised to me. Somebody said to me, oh, they were reusing a lot of the same characters, right? Like you could tell there were a lot of the same characters in the crowd coming. And, and I thought that was really interesting because ILM deliberately did that because what they were trying to show were there were guilds and teams fighting. And so they had, you know, clumps of the same characters deliberately sort of indicating yeah. that this was this clan and this was this group. Like these were the, a bunch of wizards. These were a bunch of whatever, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, whatever they were. These were a bunch of, you know, um, Halo characters. And so they would use their own weapons, but they would also move as a group. So you had both the the overall effect, and then you had kind of swarming and individual clustering uh, of characters. But for somebody else that saw this with me, they were like, oh, they were just reusing the, the same characters a lot. Why didn't they just, you know, have more different characters? And I was like, ah, I was just wondering if anyone else got that. Because for me, I understood why they were doing it. So I knew what I was looking at. But for somebody else, I was wondering if it felt like they were just recycling. I don't think I would have had that. I mean, that sounds like such a, like an effects person reaction yeah. to say like, oh, they're reusing it. Like, I mean, I think the the more natural reaction for, you know, a kid who's really into games is like, oh, it's cool. Like, you know, they're probably all in a clan together. Like they're, they're all wearing the same, which I mean, kids do that when they play with each other. Like they make characters that look either the same or really similar. Like they all try to get similar kinds of, you know, armor or they all share like an, a, a logo or something that they design. Right. Um, and cause they want to sort of have that sort of sense of, you know, team and, you know, whatever their, yeah. their, their clan banner. And it's kind of, that's kind of a real, that in, the, a real, in the film, right? Like they made references to the fact that he was mm -hmm. playing solo and wasn't even in a group. Like there's a couple of references yeah. earlier on. Right. And later on, it became this whole thing about uh, them being the, the uh, the, five, the high yeah. fives or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> it's sufficiently video game esque, right? Like that's the thing. You just need to you just need to follow the rules of what people would do when they play video games. And to me, that's I didn't notice the the sort of you know grouped nature of the characters, but none of the I mean they, they showed up close, like the 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 troop of Halo guys and. Uh, I don't recall seeing any other like group groups really, but I mean, even if I did, it would, would make total sense. Right. I mean, humans, yeah. humans are not that diverse by nature in their thinking. So you wouldn't have a billion different characters. You'd have probably a thousand and there would be a thousand or a hundred thousand of each of them or something in varying forms. Right. Because that's just, you know, how it goes. Yes. There's going to be a lot uh, of Harry Potters and a lot of, you know, whatever yeah, the current exactly. culture is. Yeah. Yeah. There was, uh, 
yeah, it's just you know, Overwatch like, characters think, and um, whatever. Because obviously but, it was a yeah, it was a visual effects person that was saying it to me, and I was thinking, uh, I'm just curious whether you guys got that impression or not. Because there actually was an enormous amount of characters in the sequence. I mean, huge number of different characters. Yeah. But I thought it was classic. great when you, they start hearing them and they come over the ridge, and you're like, oh, cool, it's to, it's a giant, you know, like crowd simulation, awesome. Like that's exactly what you need in this section. But to me, the only shot that didn't work is when he sees, I think it's when he sees them, uh, Nolan rather, uh, sees all the, um, people coming over or uh, there's a shot where they do like, a he's on his, the top of his steps by the castle and they do a zoom, like yep. a like a CG zoom up to him. And then the background did this really crazy scale, but it felt like it yeah. happened late. Like it's like it zoomed in and then the background, like almost like they just took a flat plane and just Z pushed it like and brought it up. And I noticed it both times I saw it. And I don't know, I don't know what they were like, what if somebody just missed that or that was literally the only shot in the entire movie where I was like, that's like weird. the elements in the lens were yeah. like moving separate from yeah. each other or something. Yeah. yeah like the I, lens compression in a way that after that, the zoom. It felt to me like that's what a lens might do. Uh, Roger Guy well, was no, the because VFX the supervisor of the whole thing. Image just Well, I know you're stops, saying that, but I'm saying right? when like I saw it, it didn't strike yeah. me as odd because there's huh. a non-linearity to some lens properties that just sometimes play tricks. Well, sure, but the it's like they went did a twenty four to two ninety, pushed all the way in, but then once they like he didn't change size, which means they would either have to be running so far forward, so you know moving forward super fast, or whatever. But the background, like I understand, they were trying to do like the jawsy kind of squeeze, but it was like it looked super digital. Like they, it's like almost like somebody ran out of time and they were like, just, just zoom, just blow up the background. No one will notice. <laughs> That's what it okay, felt well, like. Th- I understand yeah, what you're I, saying, I, Mike, that things go wacky, but yeah. So I was going to say, Roger Guy was the, the VFX advisor for the whole production effectively. Um, though he's obviously an ILM, um, and Grady Koffer was the ILM senior soup. Uh, and I, I think on the whole, like the visual effects, if I was rating them, were exceptionally good. Like I thought that the, the balances that oh, we yeah. discussed really um, felt like they hit the mark. And then there's great environment work that we don't even like tend to look at. I mean, even in that, uh, when they're falling through the ice, that section at the end that we're on right now, that was a really nice environment. And uh, the sort of scale and the way that it was all set up was was really working well. And it was lit well. It's just the trouble is with so yeah. much going on, you don't tend to look at any of that environment work Oh, for much. sure. Well, yeah. and, and I was saying to Matt, uh, is the castle with the lava, is that Darth Vader's castle from episode three slash Rogue One? Ooh, gosh, I don't know that. Like it looked like it. Okay. Uh, it looked like a mix between that and obviously it wasn't on an ice planet, but it's a video game, so it doesn't really matter. But, you know, but they put, I mean, it's on planet Doom, right? But they, you know, the orb of Asavox, you know, you know, was over, was over it. But before that, it, 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 at least when they were having their conversations around the lava, it kind of had that pillared vibe like that. Okay, well, because uh, you've now gone there, I'm going <laughs> to, I've been resisting the temptation to do this, but what were your favorite pop culture references in the film? Jason, starting with you, like, I mean, we, we can't discuss this uh, film and ignore them. 
I, I mean, there were a lot, obviously. There was one for me I, that really stood out as big. The Zemeckis Cube, know. the Zemeckis Cube, the Zemeckis Cube was, was overall might have been my favorite. There's, I think, Mike, you're going to go for the Holy Hand Grenade. The Holy Hand Grenade but, of Antioch was just, I yeah, uh, was cheering yeah. in there. <laughs> just, I was waiting for someone to discuss the... Love thy Holy yeah. Hand Grenade yeah. towards thy foe. Thou shalt yeah. count to but three, the, not to two, not to four, five yeah. is way up. Yeah, no, I just thought it was like... Yeah. yeah. A lot more that was super subtle, but the Zemeckis the Cube for me was amazing because you're like, Zemeckis and Rubik's Cubes, that's weird. But then when they... Because they don't really go together, right? Uh, other yeah. than they both were in the eighties, or in terms of whatever, I guess. But but when he solved it and he threw it, and they played the first three tones of the Back to the Future theme, bam, 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 and I was like, oh my god! Like the and Alan Silvestri did the music for Ready Player One. Who did Back to the Future? Right? Did I think he yeah. did Back to the Future? So it's just kind of like he gets to quote himself, and there's like this whole you know, whatever, but, and then, oh yeah, you can go back in time 60 seconds and you're just like, okay, that's the most complete re- reference that's super like constructed that isn't just like drop a name and like, oh, I get it. That one in The Shining. I mean, The Shining's a whole sequence, obviously. It's not yeah, whatever, but so the, we can go to The Shining after this, but that to me was, uh, was mind numbing. But the... But yeah, I think I think the Zemeckis cube might be my favorite. Matt, <laughs> what was um, popular you know, I, I'm not a super. Yeah, I'm not like a super huge fan. I mean, I like those movies, but like I think some people have so much love and nostalgia for um, the Back to the Future movies. I think you know they're fun, but like they're not something that like I I. Uh, hold dear near <laughs> or whatever but i but i did love the use of the um the delorean uh in the beginning of the the movie and the use of it as a um you know the, and at the end too i guess as his primary vehicle i thought the rendering of it like the textures on it on the sort of brushed mm-hmm. um uh stainless steel and stuff i mean it was just so incredible looking it looked so totally photoreal. It's really, really cool. And then the little thing that I noticed that I, I thought was really cool, which I think is also in the book, was his uh, Thundercats belt buckle. Oh, uh, that part I missed that. War. Nice I one. thought was really cool. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> the one leaves. thing that was missing yeah. that was in the book. Wait, but the one just the one thing that's missing that's in the book that I totally loved, and I was so kind of bummed that it wasn't there. I know, I think I know why it wasn't there, and was um, Ultraman and the the Beta uh, Capsule, like which the '60s uh, Ultraman TV yeah, show, I love Ultraman. which is so awesome and so like kind of corny but they replaced it with the Gundam which I guess is more well known by younger kids today I have to say it was cool but but I mean I I so I was so hoping to see Ultraman just because I have such a long childhood memories of watching that well wait I want to throw out one other thing when Nolan throws out his thing well Kaneda's bike from Akira was was awesome that was just give that a shout out but that Artemis drove but when Nolan pulls his last big thing out of his jacket and throws it down, I caught mm-hmm. a glimpse of it and I turned to Lucas uh, and I said, Mecha Godzilla. And he goes, What? Oh, yeah. And I go, Mecha Godzilla. <laughs> and he goes, What? And on screen it goes, Mecha Godzilla. And he was like, What? How'd yeah. you know that? I was like, Don't mess, dude. Just look at the thing, you know. 
<laughs> and that is in the book too. And that, that was the one other thing actually that I don't know if you guys noticed this, but the, uh, the pod from the discovery is in the background in H's workshop, the 2001. Oh, right. Pod. Well, she pulls out all the, or he pulls out all the ships showing silent running and, you know, going yeah. super yeah. nerdy on all that stuff. Right. It was cool. The Kub, the Kubrick references yeah. is what I, I was just in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that leaves us. So the, so the Shining. The shining yeah. right? The Shining, which I was leaving yeah. to last because A, it's unique to the movie and B, it's, it's kind of a separate little bit of its own in the film in the sense that it's a very distinctive um, part of the film. It obviously works in the narrative, but it's just a cracker of it in sequence and almost most people that I know that have seen it have found it one of the most remarkable parts of the film. Um, I guess we should start by saying you guys both like were you sort of aware of The Shining enough in recent memory that you were feeling like you're getting the references or were you more like, oh, yeah, that's what that oh, is? Oh, totally. I mean, Matt, yeah, you so you were totally across it. and uh, Yeah, I, I, I know that movie backwards and forwards. Oh, I've yeah. seen it probably too, too many times. Like, And all the, I mean, I could recite lines from The Shining and like, you know, it's, it's definitely one that's, uh, you know, high up in my own... Uh, personal uh, lexicon of <laughs> of really uh you know great fun um movies of that era just uh, a side note like in the um in the book if memory serves there is a a scene from uh, the John Badham movie War Games that they have oh. to reenact and so they go to the war they go to War Games um and have to reenact this one particular scene as opposed to um this thing that's only in the movie which I actually think is much more interesting which is this sequence in um the Overlook Hotel and the the maze uh in The Shining the Overlook well, theater that, which I, I thought think it was, was also was nice. a a family ties sequence that was in the book that wasn't in the film and obviously wouldn't work mm. as well. Oh, that's right. Uh, but leaving that aside yeah. for a second, I thought this was so well done and such a treat. And also it just seemed so, such nice cinematic kind of symmetry because of the relationship between Spielberg and, and uh, Kubrick and, you know, totally. AI and all that stuff. And then it was just unexpected and well done. And how much fun would they have done recreating this like it was seemed to me an astonishing homage just on a scale oh my god when they like, push in when they push into the main like you know the lobby lobby i was like yeah. what it, it looked real <laughs> like i was like did they just push into the film like what are they like i swear to god i was not i my brain did not say that was oh they just redid it in cg i was like did they just push into the film right like they're going to comp those characters in how are they getting those angles like i was it was because that over that opening shot is essentially i mean it's in the movie but it's all in the shining but it's also very similar to when you know wendy's backing up the stairs and whatever um but even before that because <clears throat> i didn't again i didn't read the books so it was all news to me even though it was to you guys i didn't know that but i went like when the movies were swirling around and they, and they're like, Oh, they're whatever. And the creator hates a creation before they said it. I said, it's a shining. 
And I said in my head, because Stephen King hated The Shining. And then they go, oh, because mm-hmm. Stephen King hated The Shining. And I was like, oh my God, what, are they going to do something with The Shining? What are they doing with The Shining in this? And then when they went into it, I was the whole time, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Every shot. I was like, what? And, you know. When it was all digital too, wasn't it? That insane. whole environment is all CG, I think. The way the light blasts through the windows is exactly the same. You just blew it out right it's just well and then even even like the sort of tacky like green oh, you know, ceramic room oh my 237 god. oh my and that god sort of just grotesque like you know late 60s early 70s yeah. kind of design aesthetic and i mean was kira I mean, just, digital in that too or was she comped in i don't know but like, yeah i don't know yeah. i don't know he was, was really good and, and then the old lady like they oh, went yeah. i I was shocked that they went for all the moments, like the blood from the from the trailer. Oh yeah, I mean that's, yeah, that's yeah, mostly elevator. a trailer moment. Instead, I mean it's in the movie. The, the Grady sisters, the yeah. two little yeah. girls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> like that was a perfect scene to put in. Whoever like put that scene together in the book in the in the script was like, "This is going to be mm-hmm. awesome," because they all the adults who'd seen it are like, "Oh my god," or not if they hadn't seen it and all the kids are like, I'm getting something. I think I'm supposed to be scared. Cause H is like, I can't do scary movies. This is a scary movie. And so, so H is the audience who hasn't seen it and everyone else yes. is Parzival or, you know, whatever. And it's beautifully constructed to give the audience enough room to flip back and forth between the characters. If you haven't seen it, if you're a super shining nerd, then you're getting all the G all the, the juice, including going by the picture and seeing Halliday in the picture, you know, yeah, like yeah. Yeah, that everything. Was and obviously they went over the top with like, you know, the big, the, the zombie woman, you know, swinging the giant ax in the, in the, the, <laughs> the maze. maze, but that's fine because that's what makes it, you know, part of their world. The, although they did do the Jack shuffling, you know, they came up behind him and you got the shuffle, which was uh, interesting. They never showed him, which I thought was smart. They just saw his legs and the ax in the maze. Yeah, I think that was one of the best sequences in the whole film. I, I would have actually, so getting when I started with this whole thing, if I was making a TV series out of this, it just struck me that that was what you'd want to do more of. Like that would be the thing that would make the TV series just so mm-hmm. awesome. Not fully CG right. sequences attacking castles, but this kind of entering into worlds that are fully reconstructed. I mean, I could see... I could see a limited series just being spectacular for that reason as they had to yeah. uh, visit sort of popular culture icons. And and in a sense, I found that more rewarding than some of the other sequences, even though the other sequences were beautifully rendered and were incredibly complex, like the charging as we've discussed in the third act. Well, it's such a, it's such a really fun, innovative use of uh, computer graphics to, to utilize it in that way in the context of both the story, but also just the visuals, like the things that you're able to do, like, and I think like you're saying too, Jason, like for people who've never seen it and for people like us who've probably have seen it maybe one, one or two, (laughs) too many times, right? Like, you know, it's, it was, it's such a, um, a really fun bit of like entertainment and just really great eye candy. It was just so tightly and lovingly executed. You could tell like, you know, the attention to detail was, uh, you know, top top shelf for sure. I was going to say, I, I'm going to bow to you guys because I think you've seen The Shining more recently or, or know it more than I do, even though obviously I've seen it. 
I couldn't fault it. Did you have any faults with that sequence? Because it seemed to me to no. be one of the most beautifully executed things in the film. No, I mean, it was... I, I, I don't often... Like, if this were a survey, I don't give, I don't give tens on a survey ever. I would give a 10 <laughs> to every column of this, of that sequence. It was, there was, the characters didn't seem out of place, oddly. You know what I mean? Like, this, I don't know it's, if it was just shock of being like, are they in The Shining? What is happening? You know, but like, you see, you know, like H, who's not a very, you know, he's like a robotic, weird, ogre yep. kind of giant. And he's the one that you're the most, like, he's like a little kid, right? And he's like, oh, hey, little girls, you know, and you're like, no, don't do that. But like, at no point are you like, expertly I'm comped, confused. Wasn't he? Because he this, was, he was the wrong type yeah. of character. Yep. It didn't look like Who Framed Roger Rabbit frame stuck over a live action plate where you kind of go, well, that's right, um, right. Soup, a superimposed image. It was just integrated in, in a way that had no right to be able to be done. <laughs> like, because the girls, well, it's looked, interesting the girls you, looked real, if, if you, oh, yeah. right? Well, I was I was gonna I was gonna say it's interesting if you go back and look at The Shining though too. Like, there's something so interesting about uh, the way Kubrick shot um, all the stuff in the Overlook Hotel and in the maze, like the first sort of use of the Steadicam and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, th- at least in uh, a theatrical film, right? In the mm. a lot of sequences mm-hmm. in that, and there's a you know there's the the rug the um, the um, uh, the lobby, uh, the hallways. The I mean, the wheel. blood with um, that simulation of the blood and the way it hit the yeah. hit yeah, the well, two elevators. And, everything is yeah. everything is symmetrical, though. That's what's so interesting about that space. And the twins embody yeah. that symmetry as well. And that's thematically a part of um, the movie version of The Shining is this concept of symmetry and the introduction of asymmetry, um, which throws things kind of into some sort of chaos. And, um, to have, uh, something like that, where the set pieces and all of the design aesthetic is, is symmetrical, I think lends itself really well too, to, um, functioning with these CG characters in this all CG world. Like it, it, it really it came together in a way that felt really clean and cohesive, whereas you could see those characters in that space seeming jarring, but it didn't at all. Well, and also to have no. it end, you hear the music and you're like, oh, cool, they're going to go into the ballroom. And they go into the ballroom and, it, and <clears throat> you've gone from this kind of high tension, like very exciting thing to this and potentially scary thing, right? Because the, the room 237 is not like they don't kid around in that scene, right? Like they just like, no, that's the scene. Right. Which I thought was, I was very glad that they did that. But then you end with, you know, oh, it's not about the shining. It's about, you know, asking her to dance. So it changes. It's in a ballroom. It makes sense. But it's this like Disney's haunted mansion moment. Right. So it's like kind of, kind of like cools down. The zombies are like funny, kind of like, like, you know, (laughs) Yeah, it's always a game in the yeah. end. It's a game. Yeah, you can step on their heads, but they don't look gross. They're kind of like, like stupid, you know, like fun zombies. Uh, she didn't have to like, <laughs> it's not bloody. She didn't have to like really fight them. Uh, I thought that was a really nice button to that scene because it mm-hmm. emotionally made sense. And I liked how they were all sucked out of the thing and it was her who had to, you know, solve it. And they didn't make Parzival be the kid who solved every one of them because that would be boring. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, look, uh, that's kind of it for this week. Uh, I think we're going to leave it on such a strong note because that was the thing that elevated this film for me uh, from uh, from a good film to one that I actually thought was, uh, you know, and I really recommend people to see. Um, I'm so glad you guys could join us for the discussion and, of course, enjoyed the film. Um, I guess, Jason, where can people find you if they want to loop around and, and see what you're at? Uh, com, superspherevr.com. Facebook and Twitter, I guess, <laughs> wherever. And Mr. Matt? I'm on Twitter at Matt Wallen. Um, MattWallen.com is my website. And um, I'm uh, always keeping uh, almost too busy these days at uh, a Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia, where I am a uh, professor in the School of the Arts. Excellent. And of course, uh, I'm over at FX Guide where we'll be posting the story uh, on the film and my discussion with uh, the team at ILM about the uh, visual effects in this film, probably around the 12th uh, of uh, April. But for now, I just want to say thanks both to you guys for being on the show and also our team for producing it. And Matt, you're doing all the great editing and stuff, putting this show together. Uh, We really appreciate you guys listening. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, We have a ton of films coming up. I feel like uh, you guys didn't really bite on my discussion on uh, Stranger Things. So as Series 3 approaches, I think we're going to have to do a, a Stranger Things. And, and of course, Matt, we're going to have to do a Westworld yeah, totally. uh, as Series 2 cracks. Because, uh, oh, my God, oh, I'm looking bet. forward to that. Yeah. So, <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, i got to catch up on that. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. Uh, okay, so thanks so much for you guys being with us. We really appreciate it. Until next time, I'm Mike Simmel. See you guys. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.